Good morning, everybody. Um, I am going to start, well, we always start doing something. Who knows what that something is? Ingrid's got it. But don't do that. Flip them back over, okay? This morning, the blank. That's what I call them. I want you to start filling in the blank and just do what you can and then we'll see what we've got. So I'll give you, I don't know, 30 seconds. doing that to help you. You know, just use God, spirit, gospel. <laughs> I'm giving you a couple clues there.
Okay. Well, I think you guys have had enough time. And it's okay. Um, I just thought, you know, we every every time we meet, we go through the disciplines. And I thought, you know, I, I don't know how I would do with the blanks. Because even doing it, knowing what I was doing, I was like, ooh. So, let's go ahead, and I'm going to read through, and you can check your work um, and see how you did. So, our wellspring purpose is to equip and, in, and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's why we're here. We're here to equip and to encourage each other. Discipline one, the heart. Did Okay, I was thinking about this. Did anybody draw a heart? Or did everybody write the word? Okay, I was just curious. I, I, in, my, in my heart, I wanted to draw a heart. <laughs> she prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Discipline two is the home. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Discipline three, the ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. It's all about the gospel. If we had a word, a word bank, gospel would be up there a lot. God would be up there a lot. Um, and then the verse where where this ministry, the, the guts of it. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23. So those are our disciplines. <coughs> now, maybe you can take your crank the blank. How, how, how did you guys do? Great. Great. <laughs> Did, did it make you realize how important those little words that are big words, you know, to equip and to encourage? It's the gospel. It's God. It's his word. Um, so that's our look at the disciplines this morning. So. Okay. My biggest fear is that I'm going to drop this. Um. Before we go any further, I'd like to pray. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your grace to us, Lord. And Lord, I do pray that this time will help to equip and encourage us. Father, that we would just grow more in love with you. And what you are doing in our lives is amazing. That you would take um, our frail feeble, sinful lives and you would change them and make us like you, like your son. 
Father, that's truly amazing. Lord, I do pray that now we will just learn from your word and that we will walk away more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I'm talking about today is bearing God's image as biblical women. And this is what used to be two lessons, and it's condensed into one. So we are going... I feel like we are on a rocket ship flying across the plains. Um, And I I think you will be encouraged. I've been so encouraged and enjoyed so much preparing for this. Um, So hold on and here we go. I know um, if you've heard this message before, obviously since it's me, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, But there are a lot of issues that we're facing today and that we're hearing about today and I'm not going to go a lot into some of what's going on in our world because I think most of us are aware of it but I know within the last month I was listening to the radio and then I was talking with someone and they were telling me one one was a lady calling in to a radio show saying that she is a Christian she and her husband and that they are I Now I can't remember if it's they're bringing their seven-year-old daughter up as a boy or vice versa. That part doesn't matter. But their child has expressed, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. And they're going with that. Yeah. That's out there. I had somebody else that has, you know, and I don't like the friend of a friend of a friend, but this is a friend with a friend, so it's not that far. I think we're going to face more and more and more of that. There, The gender, and I came across this, and I thought, oh, this describes it. Gender ambiguity. We don't know if we're boys, we don't know if we're girls, and we're not sure that it's okay to have boys and girls and have them be different. Um, that's what's going on in our world. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that. I th- I think it's a reflection of what's going on. Um, I think I'm not surprised. I don't think you should be. I think Romans 1, 18 to 32, kind of encapsulates what's going on. That passage tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un- all, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood so men understood but then God goes on and I'm not going to read the whole passage I'd encourage you to go back to it professing to be wise they became fools Professing to become wise, they became fools. I think we can see that. Some of the smartest people right now are saying some of the dumbest things. And they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. An image is a word put in your head because you're going to hear that a lot today. Um, They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then it goes on 
in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Does that sound like what's going on in our world as homosexual marriage? Which, I mean, I can't get my brain around it. Call it something else. But that's what's going on. And I, it's a, I, in my mind, I see the spiral. And... Our country, I I think, is in big trouble. And I think this all goes back to not understanding who the image of God and that we are made in the image of God. So I want to start just by looking at one of the first passages in Scripture from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And likeness is another word to be listening for. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are created in the image of God. Not just men, but men and women. And if you look throughout scripture, you'll see that the word image is in there 50, and that this is in the um, New American Standard. Um, Image is found in the Bible 58 times, and likeness is in there 27 times. And what I did was I printed it off from Blue, Blue Letter Bible, which is, a favorite resource of mine. And just reading through all the different passages where the word is, just even just the little verse, without even going into the context, and I'm not necessarily recommending that, but it was overwhelming because you, you just see how important image and likeness. Um, we read the one where we're made in the image of God. Um, Deuteronomy 4.16 says, So that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. It's all through scripture that images are made that are not the image of God. And it's that's a big deal. So I would encourage you, if you get a chance, just do that. Look, up, look for the word image and look for the word likeness. Um, it's amazing. I, I, I mean, as I studied, it's like, wait a minute, we're made in the image of God. That's amazing. But we see over and over and over the corruption and how thinking becomes futile, and we turn, you know, we we don't we've cleaned it up. We don't make the golden calf anymore. That's not the image we make. We we do it a lot of different ways. Um, but just just 
think about that. Whose image am I made in? Um, and it's so important. The first three of the Ten Commandments, and I want to read these to you because you'll see, the one deals specifically with likeness. Okay, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. One, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. That's very clear. No golden calves, no idols, no likeness. The second one, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So you're not to make them, you're not to make that idol, and you're not to worship them. See, it's all about who God is. And the third one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. That's just, I mean, taking God's name in vain, those are the first three commandments. They're all about who God is and how we are not to, we're not to destroy his image. Um, and this came from the notes um, from the Holman Study Bible on Exodus 24 through 6 where you find the Ten Commandments and they said not to make an idol ran counter to every instinct of ancient Near Eastern cultures but to do so is an affront to a jealous God God is concerned to protect the integrity of his relationship with his people if the Israelites made idols to worship it would be an act of hatred, disloyalty and repudiation and remember, Moses is up there on the mountain, and what are they down there doing? They're making a golden calf. But we have to probably be honest. I probably would have been, here's my jewelry. Go for it. We're, we're, we have to fight that. Um, so I want to talk about, so I want you to understand the image of God and how important it is to him. Who he is. He's got three commandments that deal with that. Um, but to think we're made in his image is just incredible. And so I want to I want to look at that. I went to Wayne Grudem's systematic theology for some help um, to understand it because I think again this can be one of those terms that's thrown out. I'm made in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? Grudem says, out of all the creatures God made, only one creature, man, is said to be made in the image of God. What does that mean? We may use the following definition. The fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. When scripture reports that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, Genesis 1.26 it simply would have meant to the original readers, and that's important, let us make man to be like us and represent us. In the fall, God's image is distorted but not lost. And even though men are sinful, 
there is still enough likeness to God remaining in them that to murder another person or to shed blood is to attack the part of creation that most resembles God. And Genesis 9-6 is the reference. And that, that's why abortion is so wrong because you're, you're killing the image of something that's made in the image of God. That's why murder is wrong. James 3.9, speaking of the tongue, says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So all men, even unsafe men, have the likeness of God. Men, generally not just believers, are made in the likeness of God. And that was something that was like, oh, I needed to be reminded of that. Because sometimes I forget that and I think, oh, well, it's just believers. No, men, mankind, um, we're different than the animals. A lot of people don't get that, but we are different. Since man has sinned, he is certainly not as fully like God as he was before. Though man is still in the image of God in every aspect of life, some parts of that image have been distorted or lost. But... Our redemption in Christ means that we can, even in this life, progressively grow into more and more likeness to God, being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. That's an amazing fact. Remember, throughout this life, as we grow in Christian maturity, we grow in greater likeness to God. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That to me is just amazing. So every single being, no matter how much the image of God is marred by sin or illness or weakness or age or any other disability, still has the status of being in God's image and therefore must be treated with dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. And here's, here's where we're going. We're still in the intro. Men and women are made equally in God's image, and both men and women reflect God's character in their lives. And this, I'm still quoting Grudem. If we are equally in God's image, then certainly men and women are important to God and equally valuable to him. We have equal worth before him for all eternity. The fact that both men and women are said by scripture to be in the image of God should exclude all feelings of pride or inferiority and any idea that one sex is better or worse than the other. In particular, in contrast to many non-Christian cultures and religions, no one should feel proud or superior because he is a man, and no one should feel disappointed or inferior because she is a woman. And I think there's a lot of that going on, that women can perpetuate that, that we're not, we're not as valuable as men. There's that glass ceiling, we've got to bust through it. But that's not what God says. Our world may say it, but, but that's, not what, that's not what God's word says. If God thinks us to be equal in value, then that settles the question. For God's evaluation is the true standard of personal value for all eternity. And on your handout, 
there's a definition of complementarian. And that's a word that was coined, I think, like back in the 70s. Um, there's complementarian, there's egalitarian. Our church, through the elders, through biblical conviction, we would be considered a complementarian church. And so we're going to look at what the elders of our church have determined by being in God's word and seeing what God's word says about men and women. So here's my next pop quiz. How many biblical convictions does Grace Bible Church have? Who said that? Vivian, how do you know that? Oh, well, good. Yay. Good for you. Okay, well, we have eight biblical convictions. And I am going to, like, read them really quickly because I thought, you know what? I'm not going to just tell you there's eight and not tell you what they are. But no depth on here. But you can go on the website and go under, I think it's on under the Who Are We tab. Um, there's the biblical convictions. And one thing I do want to say, and I asked my husband, who is one of the elders, I said, okay, tell me again, why are they called convictions? And the reason why they're called convictions and not distinctions is because the elders are convinced by scripture that this is what God's word says. Um, so there's eight of them. I could be really mean and make you flip your paper over and write them down, but I won't do that. The first one is the centrality of God's word. The second is the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church, which is the glory of God, the cross of Christ, life transformation by the spirit, drawing in, building up, and sending out. That's the second one. The third one is the mission of the gospel. That deals with missions. The fourth, the doctrines of grace. That's how we're saved. The fifth is the doctrine of sanctification. And that's living the Christian life by the power and promise of the gospel. Sixth is the doctrine of sin. That's all about sin. Um, seven is biblical manhood and womanhood. That's where we're going today. And the eighth one is the literal six-day creation. And I know there's, you know, possibly more convictions coming. Um, that's not all-inclusive, but that's all-inclusive. That's what what they have set forth um, today. So the seventh biblical conviction at Grace Bible Church is biblical manhood and womanhood in our church. And what we see in that is spiritual equality and role differentiation. And I'm going to call it differences because if I have to say that word ten times, it's going to be ugly. So role differences. But the technical word they use is differentiation. Okay. So as we look at the Bible from beginning to end, we see God establishing two realities for men and women. Spiritual equality before God and role differences for men and women in the church and Christian families. This biblical view of manhood and womanhood is called a complementarian view. And again, the definitions on your outline. 
So let's look at the two realities that God has established for men and women in his word. The first one, starting in the Old Testament, the spiritual equality. Man and woman are equally created in the image of God, and we've already looked at that. Neither one has more or less of God's image than the other. Now that's the good news. The bad news is man and woman are equally totaled by sin. Neither one is more sinful than the other. We're all fallen in Adam. We're not more fallen because Eve started out. She was the one that took that bite. Um, But remember, we're made in the image of God. But sin distorted the God-given differences. Sin did not introduce it. And we see that in Genesis 3, 16 through 19. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So both Adam and Eve, they had it made in the image of God, but they're both totaled by sin, the curse. So both men and women are equally impacted by sin's presence and power. We're both, both men and women, unable on their own to change their sinful condition, and both are in need of salvation. We're all in need of Jesus Christ. So the role differences. God's purpose for creating women. Why why were there's Adam in the garden? Why was he created? Well, God created man first, then he created woman. God had an order in mind when he created, an order that's linked to the different roles. Genesis 2:18 says, "Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone." I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. So all these animals come before Adam, but none of them were suitable. So Adam named them, and but there was not a, a suitable helper. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What did Adam need? He needed a helper. He needed someone like him. He did not need an animal. And he didn't need another Adam. God both instructs and confronts the first human pair through the man. And that was prior to the fall. God instructed Adam. And that was before the fall and then after the fall. So sin distorted our God-given differences, but did not introduce it. The order is linked to our roles, not to our spiritual equality. The order doesn't diminish our spiritual equality. It enhances and promotes our roles. And Jesus, we see when he comes to this earth, what happened? He dramatically emphasized a woman's spiritual equality with man in the midst of a woman demeaning Greek, Roman, even Jewish culture. Um, Matthew 13, and these references are on your handout, I believe. Um, Jesus used illustrations and images familiar to and useful for women. He revealed himself as Messiah to women. He taught women directly. He touched women and allowed them to touch him. He allowed women to travel with him and his disciples. And after his resurrection, Jesus revealed himself first to a woman. All of that was culturally unprecedented. That didn't happen. So Jesus changed things. And and that's just one more place where as women we can go, oh, that voice that maybe is telling me I'm a woman and I'm not important, Jesus took that and cut that thinking off at the knees. As far as our role differentiation, our role differences, Jesus did nothing, and this is exact. I am reading this from the conviction of the church. Jesus did nothing to exalt women to a place of spiritual leadership over men. If ever there was a time to correct the prior teaching and practice in regards to role differences, it would. It was at this time through this man, but Jesus didn't. Rather, Jesus affirms what Revelation has already taught, that women are spiritually equal with men before God. In fact, he elevated this out of the culturally sinful view of his day. Jesus also affirmed the God-given role differences from the Old Testament as well. So Jesus didn't change it. If this was the time for women to become elders or pastors, this would have been it. And it did not happen. So the rest of the New Testament, speaking of spiritual equality, women are spiritual equals with men in redemption. Gender was not taken into account when God designed and carried out redemption through Jesus' atoning work. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Another example where you see a woman in scripture is Priscilla and Aquila. They were in Ephesus and there was a Jew named Apollos. Um, This is Acts 18.24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. And here's here's the point. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So women do have a place in the church but it is not up here if there's men out there Philippians 4, 2 and 3 women shared in the struggle of advancing the gospel with Paul, Eudea and Syntyche and we're going to look at them later um, in a month or so on biblical peacemaking um, because they were two ladies that were fussing with each other in the church But Paul says of them, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. They were part of the gospel. They were part of the gospel ministry. And 1 Peter 3, 7, Wives were to be viewed by their Christian husbands as fellow heirs of the grace of life. That does not sound like we are second-class citizens. We are fellow heirs of the grace of life. So the role differences. Paul, under no less inspiration of the Holy Spirit than in the preceding verses, defines different roles for men and women, both in the church and in the Christian home. The next passages reveal the roles and responsibilities of men and women in the church. For leadership in the church, the elders and deacons are offices filled by men. The teaching responsibility rests on the men. This is God's design. Men have the responsibility to display Christ, his loving servant leadership toward the body. And women, the role that God has given us is to display the supportive and submissive character of the church in her relationship to the Savior. We as women follow the lead of our elders and deacons. Even as women ministering to women, it's under the oversight of the elders. Scott Maxwell is the elder over women's ministries, and all of the elders are concerned what we're doing. They want to know. They, they want to know what studies we're doing. It's important to them. So that's just one more evidence um, of the the roles that we have. So in the church, there's, and and we're just, the passages are on your um, handout, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2. Um, And we see those are in the church. And then in marriage, we see the same principles at work. Husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church. And we, as women, are to submit to our husbands as to the Lord. They're to love us like Christ loved the church. That's a big charge. And we're to submit to them. And that's 
can be a big charge for us too. Sometimes submission is not easy. But God's word tells us that's what we are called to do. And the, the references, references for that are Ephesians 5:22 through 33, Colossians 3:18 through 21, and 1 Peter 3:1 through 7. So as sinful genders who have come to taste God's glory and life transforming work through the cross of Jesus, we see something beautiful and exalted in our biblical manhood and womanhood. We do not tolerate a patriarchal, outdated view of the genders because that's what our tradition dictates. We embrace the spiritual equality and the role differentiation given us from our sovereign God. Why? God has something to reveal about himself through both our spiritual equality and our role differences. For instance, man and woman, that's two, gives us gives to us a simpler picture of who our triune, three-in-one God is. There is spiritual equality within the Godhead, but role differentiation between the members as well. We are eager that God be seen within our church family and our nuclear families as we rejoice in our spiritual equality at the cross as well as obediently embrace these distinct roles he has given us. And I wanted to share one thing before we take a break. This was written um, back in the 1800s. And so things have, you know, changed from then till now. But this is what John Angle James says. And he was talking, this was an essay on Christianity's influence on the condition of women. There is the charter granting to women all the blessings of salvation. There is not a blessing necessary to eternal life which she does not receive in the same measure and in the same manner as the other sex. In the same measure, oops, I'm sorry, Christianity places, and I I love this picture, Christianity places the wife by the side of the husband, the daughter by the side of the father, the sister by the side of the brother, and the maid by the side of the mistress at the altar of the family, in the meeting of the church, at the table of the Lord, and in the congregation of the sanctuary. Male and female meet together at the cross and will meet in the realms of glory. Can anything more effectually tend to raise and sustain the condition of woman than this? God in all his ordinances, Christ in his glorious undertaking, and the Holy Spirit in his gracious work gave woman her proper place in the world by giving her a proper place in the church. Women's virtue, dignity, honor, and happiness are nowhere safe but under the protection of the word of God. The Bible is the shield of the female sex. Beneath this protection, we are secure in their rights, in our rights, our dignity, and our peace. So let's take, say, a five-minute break. 
and then we're going to come back and look at what the Bible says a biblical woman should look like. All right. Um, Well, as we continue on, I had one other quote I wanted to share. And this is from John MacArthur. And this comes from his book, 12 Extraordinary... This is another word I have trouble with. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Okay, 12 Extraordinary Women, um, which is a book that we've used some in our Friday night meetings. That's Lori's using that to teach on Eve. Um, that's kind of our, I don't know, what would that be? Our, we're using that book. Um, but he said something that when I read it, it was like, oh, I love this quote. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel too. He is also the God of every believer in our generation, men and women alike. We, like all of them, have our shortcomings, but we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. His faithfulness still reaches to the clouds. And I was just like, wow, I hadn't thought of it that way. Now, I am going to list for you, and you can just write these down. And then I'll tell you why. Okay, these are key passages regarding women. Um, Romans, four, or, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14.1, and I will read it. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And we're having an actual lesson on that. Proverbs 31, the whole chapter, is about a woman. 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15 is a primary passage about women. Titus 2, 3 through 5. And we've, have we had the lesson yet in here? Okay. Um, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 22. Um, all of those passages deal with women. And we couldn't have looked at any one of them, but we're going to do like a survey of a bunch of passages. Um, And I just want, I want to get a big picture of what, what does a biblical woman look like? We are image bearers. And what, what does that image bearer, what am I supposed to, who am I supposed to be in Christ? What am I supposed to look like? Um, we, remember, we are being transformed. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. What, what does a biblical woman look like? And I'm not talking married or single. I'm talking a biblical woman. And I want to remind us of Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, 
but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The verse doesn't stop there. It isn't just me gutting it out. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. I'm doing it all by myself. I better clean my act up. Verse 13, I love this. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So don't look at this list and go, oh, what am I supposed to do? Well, do that. But don't forget, God's at work within you to make you more like Jesus. And I also want to tell you, this is definitely not an all-inclusive list. You get this down, you figured it out. Okay? There are over 1,000 commandments in the New Testament. Um, so we are looking at a tip of the ice, iceberg. Um, and I also want to tell you, this is just another way of looking at it. If you go to, um, from last, last time's lesson, I don't know if everybody else calls them the wheels. Um, if you pull out the blue wheel, all of these are marks of a biblical man or woman. Um, love does not seek its own. It's humble, patient, thankful, forgiving. Oh, the blue wheel. Yes, yes. If you're on the blue wheel, you're good to go. If you're looking at the gray wheel, and okay, I'm gonna. If if you're looking at the gray wheel and you believe you see that your life looks way more like this gray wheel, I want to encourage you to check up on yourself, examine yourself in light of Scripture, and see if you're in the faith. Believers get, can get on the gray wheel, but you won't live there forever. Okay? So that's... Um, these, the gray wheel, these are the marks of a non-believer. The blue wheel, this is what a believer should look like. I'm not saying we're sinless. I'm not saying we will ever get there. If you've ever heard me say something like that, that's not true. When am I going to stop sinning? Heaven. That's right. You will be at my funeral preaching or what? Not preaching, but you'll be there. I'll be, then I won't be sinning. Okay? But it's not until then. I have visions of myself in a rocking chair sinning. Um, but that's not okay. When we sin, we need to repent. Um, and we need to change. Also, the other place you can go look for kind of what we're looking at, if, if you just are wondering, how am I supposed to look? Go to the New Creation Blue Handout chart um, and look at the strengths. And you will see this is the picture of a believer. So I just wanted to encourage that for all of you. Um, so what's a biblical woman look like? Well, the first and most important thing is she believes the gospel. Romans 3, 21 through 25 and 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. And I'm going to read the 1 Corinthians verse. For I delivered to you 
as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You're not a biblical woman if you don't believe the gospel. That's the starting point. The next thing is you'll love God and you'll love others. Matthew 22, 36-39 Jesus is asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We are to love each other. And Romans 12, 9 and 10 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We're to love God and we're to love others. And I believe that that, get your brain around that. Love God, love others. Because most everything's going to fall into that. If I'm being angry, I'm either, I'm not loving God and I'm not loving others. And you can go back to the circles and see, oh, what am I desiring? And it may be a good desire, but I'm desiring something and I'm making it a demand. And I'm not loving. Um... The next mark of a biblical woman is to obey God's commandments. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John 15, 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So how do you know if you keep his commandments? 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I know there are times where I may feel like keeping this command is a burden. But God's word tells me, no, Anne, it is not burdensome. So I have to submit my will to his and what he says. A biblical woman will trust God. Psalm 31:14. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Matthew 10, 28 through 31 Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. We need to trust God. As a biblical woman, we need to trust the Lord. We need to pray. We need to be praying women. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you're wondering what God's will is, it's right there. That's part of it. So we need to pray. And we were all given a wonderful tool last time we met um, from Sarah, the prayer journal handbook, prayer book. Um, So if you're listening to this, you can ask Sarah or Allie for one. Um, As biblical women, we're to imitate Jesus. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Jesus loves us. That you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're to love as Jesus loved us. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Ephesians 5.1 and 2 Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And I just want to point out in that verse, you see, here's the command. We're to imitate God. But Jesus loved us. He gave himself up for us. We can love God because of what he has done for us. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But like the Holy One who called you, so Jesus calls us, Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. We are to be like Jesus. We are to be holy. The next mark is we're to forgive. Um, Peter comes to Jesus and asks, How many times my brother sinned against me? How many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Peter thought that was a whole lot. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. And that doesn't mean do the math and figure out that 70 times seven is 490, 
And so at 491, no more forgiveness for you, I'm done. What Jesus is saying, it's over and over. It, it never ends. And if you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, I would encourage you, go put your eyeballs in the book of Matthew, starting in verse or chapter 18, verse 21, and read the whole thing, and read the parable of the unmerciful servant, and think about, and I do word pictures in my brain, um, think of that huge, big bag of sin that you walked around with, that Christ took from you, He's sinless. You give him this big bag. And now you're going to look at somebody else and say, I'm not going to forgive that. Just remember what Christ did for you. That big bag of sin that you have, that he took. How can we then not forgive our brother or sister? So if you're struggling, and I, I understand forgiveness is can be very difficult when we have our eyeballs on ourselves. Um, I can't say I've never struggled with forgiving somebody. I have. But when I understand who I am in light of what Christ has done for me, it does help. So that is a passage. If you're struggling with somebody, if you're in a conflict, go there. Think about that. Um Luke 17, 3 and 4 says, Be on your guard if your brother sins. And it probably that if probably means when or since your brother sins because we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostles said to that, Increase our faith. We need to ask God, increase my faith so I can forgive. Um, this is not on your hand, handout, but go ahead and add it. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And that's Ephesians 4:31 and 32. The next is be content. Proverbs 37 through 9 says, "Give me neither poverty nor riches." Um, Philippians 4:11 through 13. This is Paul speaking. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As biblical women, we need to be content. We need to be content that we're women. We need to be content that's who God made me. Elizabeth Elliot says, The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. 
I read that and I went, oh, that is so true. There is a lot of thinking, well, when I get to X, then I'll be content. When this happens in my life, then I'll be content. When my child does this, when my husband does that, when this friend does this, when I move here, when I get this thing, then I'll be content. No, you probably won't. Um, If you're not content right where you are right now, contentment's probably there. We need to be learn to be content where we are. We need to be thankful and grateful. The biblical woman will do good. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are in the household of the faith. Titus 3, oh, and this is a correction. Titus 3.14, not 4. Um, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. The biblical woman will use her gifts. Whatever gift God has given you, use it. Use it within the body. Um, And I'm going to keep going and not read the verses. You can look them up later. Um, We're to serve others. Galatians 5, 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. We're called to serve one another. We're to speak graciously. And if you're having trouble speaking graciously, a a good place to look is in Proverbs. There's a lot said, especially about women, dripping faucets, living on the corner of a roof, things like that, that talk about if, if you're a dripping faucet, it's bad. Um... You don't want somebody wanting to live on the corner of the roof because of you, because you're being contentious. Um, Proverbs 13.3, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The last thing on our list is the S word. We're to submit. Now, I just want you to listen to these first three verses. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And 1 Peter 2, 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers 
and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay, did any of those deal just with women? No. Men submit too. We don't, submission isn't something that is just this punishment to women. Men are to submit, women are to submit. We are also called to submit. If we are married, we are to submit to our husbands. Remember, men are called to love us like Christ loved the church. But it does not say submit to your husband when or if he loves you like Christ loved the church. It just says to submit. Um, And 1 Peter even talks about them observing our behavior so that if any of them are disobedient to the word they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives so submission is a biblical thing for men and women um, I, I know sometimes submission can seem hard but God says his commands are not burdensome It may be difficult, but it is not a burden. So we are called to submit. Um, I I do briefly want to talk about singleness um, since we're talking about women. But everything prior was married woman, single woman, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, wherever God has you. Um, Those things are for all of us. But singleness can be one of those difficult topics and I want to be sensitive and I want to be careful. Um, Especially, I've been married like two-thirds of my life. So I kind of don't have that paradigm that some women have. But I know wanting something that maybe I don't have, I know what that feels like. And Carolyn McCauley um, said this, and she was speaking of singleness, but you can fill in that blank. She says, It is not a gift that we have to spend time trying to identify and even worrying that we may have forever. If we're single today, we have the gracious gift of singleness today. Not necessarily forever, but we do have it today. So fill in the blank, whatever that is. Um, That's God's gift for us. God is sovereign over our life in everything. How we may feel about it, do I like being single? Maybe it's, do I like having children? Do I like not having children? Fill fill in the blank. Do I like this house I live in? Do I like this apartment I'm in? Um, Do I like this job I have? Do I like the way my kids are? How we may feel about it. Do I like being single? Do I desire marriage instead? Is not part of the equation. 
The emphasis here is on a gracious God who gives good gifts and ultimately on his purpose for giving them. This gift is not an activity or a role, but a blessing like the free gift of eternal life that was given to us without any merit of our own. Singleness and marriage are God's grace gifts, his means for us to display his image in unity and self-giving love with his body. There are privileges of being single. Um, 1 Corinthians 7.34 talks about that. She can be, a single woman can be concerned about the things of the Lord. She's got undistracted devotion to the Lord and opportunities and availability. It's not wrong to, and remember we talked last time about desires. Sarah taught on that. It's not wrong to desire marriage, but sometimes God's plan is different than what we want. And we need to guard against our desire, even that good desire, becoming an idol or becoming a demand. And so I just want to encourage us, wherever God has us, God is sovereign. Those things that come into our life that we don't like, God is sovereign over it. And when you step back, ultimately, you may be shaking your fist at God. And I understand there are circumstances. We all have them that are difficult in life. But I just want to encourage you, don't shake your fist at God. Open your hand and say, okay, Lord, this isn't easy. But by your grace, I can do what it is you have called me to do. And I found this um, quote that was written by a single gal. Um, and I, I, I just, I, these words encouraged me. What she said after listening to her pastor who was teaching on singleness, she said that marriage is brilliant and messy and God-ordained for some to be the way God shows the gospel in a human picture, him giving himself for his bride, the church. And that singleness is brilliant and messy and God-ordained for some to be able to share the gospel without having the demands of a family. Both of them are valid. Both of them are needed. And either way, he's all we need. Bottom line, the bottom line, all we need is Jesus. And ladies, I just want to encourage you to be the woman that God has called you to be. But remember, it's it's. God working within you to make you, to conform you to the image of his son. That is his grace gift to every single believer. Man or woman, single, married, wherever you are, if you trust the Lord, if you are one of his, he will make you like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us, Lord, and I just do pray for each one of us that we will be conformed to the image of your Son by your Spirit, by your grace, by your goodness. Lord, thank you for that promise in Scripture. Lord, now as we go to our discussion groups, I just pray for that time together that we will just be able to equip and encourage one another to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.